there. I want you to turn in your Bibles tonight or open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1, if you would. Romans chapter 1, a few things that I want to share with you. I'm going to read these several verses, but I'm going to read them in just a little while. Just hold your place there, kind of set, set that aside. We're going to take kind of a long introduction. Uh, it's good to be back with you. We're away last Sunday. Appreciate Brother Reese leading the service last Sunday, and I do appreciate you being here tonight. Some of the things I'm going to share with you this evening are things that, uh, well, let me say it this way. I know that the more we know about the Word of God, the stronger we are. And so tonight I want to pour some things in you that I believe are going to help you to give you knowledge and give you insight of the Word of God. Romans chapter 1, uh, in fact, the, verse, the first 17 verses of Romans, the whole book is incredible. I mean, uh, let me say it this way, that if, if all we had were the Gospels, what we would know is we would know who Jesus is, how he was born, the miracles that he did, the life that he lived, but we really, really wouldn't know the significance of his life. How do I know about the significance of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus? And the way we know that and how it applies to our lives in all of its vast forms is the book of Romans. Romans explains to us, it unpacks for us the, the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and those who receive Christ in their life and how we live for him. And so as we introduce Romans chapter 1, what we see is we're introduced to not only a message, but we're introduced to a man with an incredible mission, with an incredible passion. He's a man that really has two goals in his life, and they, they really mesh together. And one goal is he wants to preach the gospel to every human being. That's his driving force. You see that in Acts also. But also, his second thing that really connects with the first is this, is not only does he want to preach the gospel to every creature, but he wants to disciple every one of those persons who receive Jesus. The Great Commission is twofold. The Great Commission, if just preaching the gospel, just proclaiming the gospel, if that's all that we do, then we've only done half our job. But the other branch of that is to make disciples. And a disciple is someone who's a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And if to be a fully devoted follower, you have to know the Word of God. And the more we know the Word of God, the stronger followers of Christ we're going to be. And so this man with this mission, of course we know who it is. His name is Paul. Uh, Saul originally. But Paul, his Greek name, Saul, his Hebrew name. And here he uses his Greek name, his Gentile name, that is. Because he has a mission to the Gentiles. He being, uh, we would say in understatement, that he is a very unlikely candidate for Christianity because his early years were spent trying to stamp out Christianity from the face of the earth. In fact, he, he describes it this way, and we read it in Galatians 1, just by way of introduction. He says, For you heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. That's the NIV 84 version. 
It's almost like sound like a truck, doesn't it? <laughs> 74 version. No, the 84 version NIV. The NLT says it this way, and I'll just read the last words. I did my best to destroy it. I did my best to destroy it. So Paul put forth his, his best effort to try to destroy the church, that is God's people. Not a building. There were no buildings. It was just people. People that had accepted Christ. People that had yielded their hot life to the Lordship of Christ. Paul did his best to try to destroy those people. People just like you and me. And so here we are in Romans chapter 1. Where is Romans chapter 1? 25 years from that epicenter of Paul's life when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. 25 years later, he puts pen to paper, if you will, or at least to an amanuensis, declaring the word of God under the anointing as an amanuensis takes down the very words that Paul is proclaiming under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 25 years into that future, he proclaims as a transformed man, so completely transformed, that when he describes to the Galatians his early ministry movements, in Galatians 1.23, he says this, they, the Jew, the, those Christians in, in around Judea, the man who formerly persecuted, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the very faith that he once tried to destroy. So the, 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 the story or the epistle, the letter of Romans, really Paul epitomizes what happens to a human being when they embrace that message. Paul is proclaiming this message as one himself who's been transformed by this great gospel of Jesus Christ. And it, listen, if it can change Paul, it can change anyone. Paul writes to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Anyone can be changed, no matter what sin they're in or how long they've been there, the gospel of the power of Jesus Christ is greater. It transforms. That we don't just turn over a new leaf, but we literally get a brand new life. It's Zoe life. It's God's life. It's gospel life. It's Holy Spirit life. So this evening, for a few moments, as just a bit, I'll read a few verses out of Romans chapter 1, verse 17. We're going to discover a few things. We're going to see some things today. About this, really, I've titled the message, The Introduction to the Gospel and Its Messenger, who's Paul. So why did Paul write this book? Why would Paul want to write Romans? Why would he want to write to the Romans? Paul wanted to write to the Romans because Rome was the capital of the world in that day. If you will, it was the seat of power for the, for the Roman Empire, for the whole world which lasted for over a thousand years. Think about that. For a thousand years. I mean, we, our nation's been around a little over 200 years. For a thousand years, this empire ruled the world. Now, it wasn't the empire the whole time, but it existed that long in two different forms. But in about 70, uh, 476 A.D., an emperor, the last emperor, if you will, named Romulus, he served as an emperor in the western part of the empire. He was defeated by a, a, a Germanic leader named Odysseus. And that was the first time a barbarian ruled Rome. 
And for a thousand years, Rome brought order to the world. And at that moment, at that time, after a thousand years, it ended and Rome fell. But it wasn't like a single event. And it's really very much like what's happening in America right now. This great land that we live in. It's an amazing miracle. The United States of America. These states that unite together with all our diversity. And yet there are forces right now. Just like there were forces within the Roman Empire. That chipped away. Little by little. Like termites in the foundation. It's like cancer that just eats away. Little by little. So it wasn't like a single event, but it was almost like a slow death that, that caused the fall of the Roman Empire for after a thousand years. It's been debated what defeated the Roman Empire, what caused the fall of the Roman Empire. But there were, there were different views on what brought down the great Roman Empire. But there are some consensuses of things that were going on there that are going on in our land today. Listen to these. In the Roman Empire, experienced some things domestically that sound very familiar to me. One of the things is the breakdown of the family took place within the Roman Empire. Another was great inflation began to take place. Sexual moral degeneration took place. There was internal strife within the nation, within the empire. Economic deterioration. The empire became divided the military began to be weakened. There were migration and invasion of people from other lands within the Roman Empire, within Rome. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? You can almost write that on our, our headline. Daniel prophetically saw the Roman Empire some five or six hundred years before. And he was given a vision of four great beasts. And he sees this in Daniel 11. I'll read just a few verses. Still introduction. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 7. He said this, After that, in the vision of the night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It, was lar it, was, it had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victim, and it trampled underfoot whatever was left. He said it was different from all the other beasts. And it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the ten horns, there before me was another horn, a little horn, which came up before them, which some believe is the last great world leader, Antichrist. And three of the horns, three of the horns were uprooted before them. And the horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and the mouth that spoke boastfully. Now here Paul is. Paul in Romans 1 is standing, if in a sense, in the belly of the beast that Daniel saw. Here in Romans 1, Paul is standing 600 years in the future when, where Daniel spoke. Now, fast forward about 600 years. Here's Paul in Romans 1. And he's ministering during the time of that fourth beast which Daniel saw. It was Rome. The Roman Republic began about 500 years before it was an empire. Officially, the Roman Empire, before the Republic, began about 27 B.C. under Caesar Augustus, or Augustus Caesar. Which, which means this, that 
Rome as an empire had been dominating the world of Paul's day for 87 years. And there would be 400 more years that it would dominate the world. That would be like us in 2019 moving out to 2419. Another 400 years into our future, Rome would dominate the world. From a human standpoint, of Paul's vision and Paul's day, it looked as if Rome would never be defeated. It looked as if Rome could never be defeated. And that would never fall, but it would fall because God's word prophesied that it would fall. Daniel again in the seventh chapter, the ninth verse. We know the Old Testament prophets prophesied sweeping time frames, huge and large time frames. So Daniel prophesies 600 years in his future, and he sees these four beasts and these Gentile empires that are dominating the world leading up to Christ. And then he prophesies again all the way, way, way in the future to when there are no more Gentile empires and Christ will rule. That's what we're going to read here. Daniel chapter 7 Verse 9 says, As I looked, thrones were set up in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as, uh, uh, his clothing was white as snow. His, the head of his hair was white as like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. Its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing. It's what Daniel's seeing. Coming out from before him. I mean, and this, this beats to pieces this, this shallow this irreverent big man upstairs. No, he's almighty God. When we see him, we'll fall before him. He says, thousands upon ten, uh, thousands attended him. 10,000, time 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated. The books were opened. And then I continued to watch Because of the boastful words of the horn that was speaking. The last great world leader, Antichrist. And he says, I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. And the other beast, all the Gentile powers, the other beast had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at the night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power in all peoples and nations, and the men of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed." You're part of something that's the most glorious thing known in the history of the human race. You're part of the great church and the kingdom of God. And we're so grateful, aren't we? So as Paul writes, the book of Romans, he is proclaiming a king. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's proclaiming a king, not Caesar, but Jesus 
And he's proclaiming a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, not Rome, because God's kingdom will last forever. And there's coming a day, though Paul didn't know when, 400 years in his future, Rome would be defeated. But the kingdom of Jesus Christ will never end. Will never end. We're going to live forever in his presence. Hallelujah. Amen. Because of this, Jesus taught us to pray this. Your kingdom come. And I'm praying that. Your kingdom come. And we're in that same prayer of Jesus. He said to pray this in the end. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we come to Paul. And he has this deep desire to preach the gospel in Rome. Rome is the seat of the power of the world in his day. Here's why he wanted to preach there. Because Paul knew this, that what happened in Rome would influence the whole world. And there was a church there. What would happen in Rome, the, the, the Romans' roads, that, the, the Pax Roma, the peace that they brought because of their, you know, their domination, and the, all these roads that they had created that would go to the farthest reaches of the empire, Paul knew that what would happen in Rome would touch the whole world. And he wanted to touch the whole world with the gospel. So he wanted to go preach there. And he wanted the Roman church to have a firm grip upon the gospel. He wanted them to get that right. So when, when multitudes would come and influence would go all over the world, the gospel would go out right. You realize today in Africa, many of the African churches are, have so much heresy in them. Because their pastors have gotten a hold of a false gospel and a distorted gospel. And people like our missionary, Denny Miller, who, who has created the Acts in Africa initiative, that he's been there for decades now trying to preach the, the good gospel and the healthy gospel to those African churches because the gospel is just exploding there. And how I many you know the enemy wants to get heresy there so it'll one day be destroyed? So in, in saying that kind of lengthy introduction, with that brief background, I want to touch just on a, a few things in Romans chapter 1. First of all, I want you to see the privilege that Paul had. Look at verse 1, Romans 1 and 1. Paul, that's his, his Gentile name. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel. The privilege that Paul afforded was the privilege of the call of God upon his life to be an apostle. In doing this, he is not lifting himself up. He's just simply acknowledging that his apostleship is as strong as the apostleship of the original twelve. That's an odd thing because there were none after them. There were none after those 12, and then the one that was chosen in Acts 1. But after that, there were no more special apostles. There were apostles, yes, but not like that. Not like Paul. Not like James and John and Peter. Not like that. Paul says in another place, he was abnormally born. And he was abnormally born. He wasn't called just like the original apostles. He didn't walk the Sea of Galilee with, it, with Jesus, but he did meet Jesus. On the Damascus Road. And he saw him personally at that time and at other times. As scripture tells us. But this here I see as Paul's privilege. That is 
the privilege of the call of God to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that anything that we're called to do is a privilege? Now, we won't ever be the Apostle Paul. There's only one of those guys. They don't cut them like that anymore. But whatever you're called to do, whatever capacity, it's a privilege. Amen? It's a privilege to teach those kids. It's a privilege to lead worship and exalt Christ in worship. It's a privilege to preach the gospel. It's a privilege to usher. It's a privilege to knock doors. It is a privilege to be a part of the Lord Jesus Christ and His church. And Paul is here stating, in a sense, I feel privileged. He's boasting in a spiritual way, not in a prideful way, but he's saying this. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I've called him an apostle. I have been separated unto the gospel of God. Look at these three words in this text. A bondservant. Now, I'm reading a book right now on really, it's not really on slavery, slavery, but part of it. You know, we see slavery just as a part of what's happening in in our nation, which is a terrible blot on our nation. It's a scar. But if that's all that you and I see of slavery, we have such a limited view. We're not even in kindergarten because slavery has been a part of the human race almost from the beginning. And slavery was not not, uh, racial as it began. It was economical. So, But anyway, Paul mentions this here. See, it's one thing, and it's a horrible sin for one man to put another man in bondage. That should never happen. But it happens in our world. And it's still happening in our world, in different parts of of our world. That's not what this is. Because Jesus will never make you and I serve him. He will never do that. Because that's not the kind of master that he is. The word bondservant means a willing servant. It's like the servant in the Old Testament that, that, that paid his debt and could leave. But he said, no, I love my master. And he would, they would put an awl and a hole through his ear, which was a sign of lifelong service. Well, I want you to know, I love my master. I want to know that I want to give him willing service and lifelong service. I want to serve him. That's what Paul said here. Paul once tried to destroy him in everything that had to do with it. But now he says, I want to tell you what my privilege is. My privilege is I'm a bondservant. I'm a willing servant, and I am an apostle. An apostle is someone that is sent on a very special, specific mission. Paul, Paul's specific mission was to be a, 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 an apostle, a sent one to the Gentiles. That was his mission, to proclaim the gospel where he had not been heard. If, if somebody had preached the gospel over there and Paul heard about it, he said, I don't want to go there. I want to go over here. I'm going to go where Christ has never been heard. And Paul was like that pioneer missionary. He was, he was the tip of the spear for the church. He would go to, to places where no one else would go. He's an apostle. And his message was this message that we have. The message of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in all of its glorious facets. And then he said this, I was separated to the gospel. And in Galatians 1.15, he talks about how that from before he was born, he was called. Before he was born, like Jeremiah, before you were in the womb, I knew you and I called you. 
Of course, it was realized in Acts chapter 9 on the Damascus Road. But here, Paul's privilege is that I realize now that from before I was born, God had a plan that I would proclaim his gospel. What a privilege it is to be a part of gospel work. Paul's privilege. And then, I want you to glance down in verse 5. I see Paul's pardon and his power. Look at this. Verse 5. Look in the screen here. Though through him, Jesus, through him, through him, we have received grace. Underscore that. We've received grace. And apostleship. Underscore apostleship. We've received, through Jesus, we've received grace and apostleship. In other words, we, we didn't call ourselves This is not something, career choice we had. But we received this grace through Jesus, and we received also the call to apostleship through Jesus. Why? For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name's sake. I wish I could stop and talk about obedience to the faith. Faith is more than an empty ascent. Faith is more than just knowing the facts of the gospel. Faith is a life we live. It's a transformed life. It's a life of obedience to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Notice this, Paul's power and pardon, pardon and power. What I want you to see here is that grace, now capture this, grace is a favor, but it's also a force. Grace, some people say it's unmerited favor. Well, yes it is, but it's not just that. Grace is a favor from God, but it is also a force from God. What do I mean? I mean, first of all, Paul said we've received grace. What Paul's talking about there is this. We've received grace. We have been treated kindly by God. I was an unworthy chief of sinners, and yet in the favor, in the grace, in the kindness of God, He saved me and He forgave me completely for all my wickedness. I am the chief of sinners, and yet He had mercy upon me. Commentary on that is 1 Timothy 1, 12-16, which I will not read. Right now. It's a favor. You know, God's, listen, God's grace is favor. His his grace is his kindness toward undeserving sinners. We do not deserve salvation. We're not good. We're not born good. Now, that's the way the world thinks. We're born, you know, we're born good. We're not born good. We're born with a sinful nature. And that engine inside drives us to sin. Where Paul said in this book later on, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And and, and we've sinned and the wage of sin is death. We all deserve death. But listen, God sent his son and, and his son took our place and he took those nails. He took them in his hands, in his feet, the crown upon his brow. He shed his blood out of love and kindness for us. God so loved the world. Paul said, we... Every Christian, we, plural, we've received grace. That's God's kindness. That's his undeserved favor, of course. But it's not only that. He said we've received grace, but we also received something else. We've received the gift of salvation, but we've also received the gift of apostleship. We have a work of God to do. And so grace is a favor, but it's also a force, meaning that it is an enabling power that would, in, that would empower Paul to fulfill his ministry, to fulfill his apostleship. 
to where at times when Paul did not feel like he could go on, he didn't feel like, he said, God, I, I can't do this anymore. And then he said, my what? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul said, therefore, I'm going to glory in my infirmities. I'm going to glory in weaknesses. I'm going to glory in sufferings. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's a favor. It's a gift. It's a kindness. But it's also a force. Paul said about his ministry in 1 Corinthians 15.10, I labored more than they all. All those other preachers, all those other apostles, I labored more than all. But he said, I realized something. It wasn't me. It was the grace of God that was moving upon my life. The power of the Holy Spirit. It was Paul's power. His pardon is power. Also see something else. Glance at verse 1 through 4. I'm going to read this. Notice Paul's preaching. He said, and I'll start in the latter part of verse 1, separate to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So what we get here is we get a little insight about what Paul's going to be preaching throughout the book of Romans. We get a little insight of the message and what we know is it was rooted in the Old Testament prophets. Remember Hebrews 1 it said in times past God spoke through the apostles and prophets but now in these last times has spoken through his son Jesus Christ. The NASB of that the New American Standard has a strange way of interpreting that. Very child, but he talks about in many ways, and it says in many portions. You know, I think of portions. I think of food portions, or like a like a slices of a pie. But it's it's really a good translation. It's choppy. It's wooden, but it really gets the meaning. God spoke in small little portions. You'd get little a little plateful of prophecy, a little dessert bowl full. But all of a sudden, when Jesus came, you got the whole seven course meal, right? Got that? That's what it means. We got little pieces, little glimpses, little shadows of prophecy, little bitty portions. But all of a sudden, when you see Jesus Christ, you see all that God wants to say about himself. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. Study Jesus. Study his words. Study how he lived life. That's God. But it's God in the flesh. So we get a picture of that. All the prediction of the Old Testament pointed to Christ. Isaiah 9, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That was Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for iniquity, the chastisement of our peace is on him. With his stripes were healed. All about Jesus. Paul said this, he said, was promised, he, Jesus, was promised, the gospel promised before. How? Through the prophets in the Holy Scripture. Isaiah or Malachi talked about one would rise with healing in his wings, coming with righteousness before the great notable day of the Lord. And even Jesus taught out of the Old Testament. New Testament wasn't written. How do you think Jesus taught? How do you think Jesus preached on the Emmaus Road? He said he took them from the Old Testament all the way through and he taught those two men and their hearts burned in them. As they taught the Old Testament prophecies 
about himself. But notice with me that Paul's preaching, though it was rude in the Old Testament, it was centered in Jesus. I hear so much preaching today that just stuff you could get out of a self-help book. Jesus is our message. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our sanctifier. Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our soon-coming king. Jesus is our baptizer. Let's talk about Jesus. Can you imagine? The Bible said we're two or three gathered together. There I am in the midst. Jesus in the midst. And we're not even talking about him. Paul's message centered on Jesus. In fact, he even told the Corinthians, when I preach to you, I preached to you a year and a half. And I wanted to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Notice Paul's preaching. He's the Son of God, but He's the Son of David. The Son of God with power, but the Son of David according to the flesh. So he's saying He's Emmanuel. He's God among us. Incarnation. He was born. God was born among us. 2,000 years ago. The implication is the spirit of holiness that he lived a perfectly holy life. The spirit, capital, spirit, had the spirit without measure, baptized in the spirit, born of the spirit, did miracles by the spirit, son of God, filled with the spirit of God living among us. And he conquered death because Paul says here in verse 4, He was resurrected, the resurrection of the dead. He conquered death, and we too shall conquer death. Paul's preaching. And then quickly, in verses 10 through 15, I'll read these. We get get Paul's heart. We get what drives him. We get his passion. Notice this. He said, verse 10, Make a request if by some means now at last I may find my way in the will of God to come to you. You in Rome, he means. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor. I am a debtor. Both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. Both to the wise and to the unwise. So, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. What we see is several passions First of all, we see the, Paul's passions just to see these Roman believers that apparently he had never seen before. There's many people around the world that believe in Jesus that we won't see till we get to heaven. But Paul said, I want to see you that are in Rome. I long to see you. you see those words? That is, those are passionate words. I long to see you, my brothers and sisters, at Rome. See, Paul did not found the church in Rome. I don't think any apostle founded the church in Rome. Well, how did the church start in Rome? We believe that the church in Rome started on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, in chapter 1, it lists all the different nations that were there at Pentecost. And when they heard Peter preach, they received the gospel. They were filled with the Holy Spirit during that time. 
And those people traveled back to the Roman, the Roman uh, capital of Rome, Rome, and they started a church there. And it began to grow. And it had both Jews and Gentiles that were there, a part of that Roman church. And Paul said, I long to see you. And not only that, his passion was not only just to see them, but to have fellowship with them. He said, I want us to be encouraged together. In other words, I, through my ministry and through the anointing on my life, I want to impart something to you. Do you know we have an anointing to impart something? Every one of God's people can impart something to the body. We're not called to just be taking all the time. We need to be giving out of what the Spirit of God has done in our life. Sometimes it's a word of wisdom. Sometimes a word of knowledge. Sometimes a tongue. Sometimes a prophecy. Sometimes a gift of healing. Sometimes a gift of prophecy. Sometimes a miracle. But there's other gifts of helps and service. And there's gifts of leadership. And there's gifts of mercy. There's also gifts of giving. Why? There's an anointing on your life. Paul said, I want to have fellowship with you. I want to give you something that God has given me. But then he also acknowledges this. I want to receive a blessing from you. I want us to share together. I want us to fellowship, truly. Most of all, his passion is to share the gospel with them. Notice, again, I'm ready to preach to you the gospel to you who are in Rome. Why did Paul was so eager to preach the gospel to them. And the reason is because if you look ahead later, Romans 3 and 8, it says that they had received a distorted view of Paul's message. They had, they had received, and Paul's message, and Paul himself had been slandered. And they were saying that Paul's preaching the gospel like this, that you can just believe and live any way you want to live, that God will get more glory. Paul said, that is wrong. That is not my gospel. So Paul said, I want to come. I want to tell you the true gospel. And really, the book of Romans is sent ahead to pave the way so that when he gets there, they already have, in a sense, written what he has. Now, quickly, almost finished. And then in verse 9, read that. We have a prayer of Paul. For God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit. I love that. It's always touched my heart because before Paul was just a Pharisee. He had no inward spirituality. He didn't have the Holy Spirit. He wasn't born again. But now Paul's life's been transformed and every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Every Christian that's born again has the Holy Spirit because we don't serve God by the letter now. We serve Him by the Spirit of God in our inward man. And he says here, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing, without ceasing, notice, without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. We don't know what he prayed. We don't know the extent of what he prayed. But I tell you what, we probably have a good idea because Paul's 13, 14 letters that the Holy Spirit had him write are filled with his prayers. One would be Colossians 1, verses 9 through 13. Uh, or 9 through 11 or 12, where he talks about what he wanted for the Colossians. And I would presume he prayed the same thing for the Romans. They grow spiritually, know the Word of God, be holy, be full of the Spirit of God, be active, be strong, and, and many other blessings. I close with this last one, and that's this. We read in Romans 1, 16, 17, these great and wonderful verses. Verses, uh, of course, verse 17 is a quotation out of Habakkuk. 
But notice this. We have what, what is Paul's plan. What Paul really wants to do. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written. Now here's the quotation. The just shall live by faith. Paul's plan, his heart, his passion was to show the Romans the implications, the full implications of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that this gospel has power and it's only, only in Jesus Christ and his message, none other. And then his plan to show man's greatest need. You know what man's greatest need today is? Our greatest need is righteousness. We need righteousness. Man stands, mankind as a whole stands before the holy God of the universe. Guilty. Guilty. All have sinned. When, you get, when we stand before God, when every human being stands before God, it's not going to be about how much money you have, how much education you have, how much power you have, how much influence you have, how much human earthly achievement you have. But it's going to be one deal. And that is, do you have righteousness? And I can tell you this, no human being gets righteousness on their own. There's only one place to get it. The gospel. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. How? From faith to faith. And today, let's stand. Today we stand. Today we stand in this place. And listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the greatest gift the world has ever known. You have righteousness. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We have righteousness. The devil may accuse. People may accuse. But God said, who, who can bring a charge against God's elect? From the great judicial bench of heaven, God has declared everyone who believes in His Son perfectly righteous. And we can stand before God clean, clean, clean. Every stain gone, clean. Every sin ever committed, gone, we're clean. That ought to make you so happy. That's what, that's what Paul talks about in Romans. This righteousness. Hallelujah. Let's thank him for it. Father, thank you. For the gift of righteousness, the gift of grace. Thank you for this gift. Undeserving, we do not deserve it. We do not deserve your righteousness. We are unrighteousness, unrighteous outside of Christ. But in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You've given us, we've been declared righteous. And Lord, now we're being made righteous. We're declared righteous, but we're being made righteous in a practical way, day by day. And there's no sin that we cannot overcome. There's no bondage that can keep us back because of the power of your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord. Come on, lift your hands and thank you one more time. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, we bless you, we glorify you. What a mighty God you are.
What a mighty God you are. Blessed be the Lord. Now let's dismiss. Father, tonight, we're so grateful. So grateful for our gathering. So grateful for our worship. That we could gather together in this holy place. And we could cherish your word. We could just meditate on your word. And think of the glories of your great and dear son. Father, I ask your blessing upon every person under the sound of my voice. That they would receive this gospel. They would receive this message. And they would cherish it. They would study it. They would let it be a part of their lives every day. For Lord, we are truly blessed with this revelation which came from you. And now church, now Father, give this your people, your church. Give them your peace and your grace and your protection. Tonight give us rest and strengthen our bodies. Lord, we ask that you continue to be with us and help us. And let your grace be evident among us. And for this we ask in that mighty name above every name. And everyone said, Amen, amen and amen. God bless you tonight as you are dismissed. In the-